Everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone. You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and guess who's back? Is it is it Yoda? No, it's Delphine. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> no, it's Stephanie. And Delphine. Like and Delphine. this is the best episode ever, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Are you grouping yourself together with Delphine? Uh kind of. <laughs> No offense, Stephanie, but her hair is better. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm kidding. And, I'm kidding. But, and seriously, nobody missed me the way that people miss Delphine. I am sure of it. <laughs> you're, now you're just like fishing. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. I wouldn't have missed me as much as I miss Delphine. I'm just <laughs> I'm just being real here, Chris. <laughs> well, you were only gone for three episodes. She was gone for four. I know. But... Uh, but we are back. Well, I am back. Delphine and I are back. We're buds. <laughs> <laughs> buddies? Are you buddies? It's true. I <laughs> We are buddies. I was visiting her in Frankfurt or wherever the hell she was supposed to be now. Somewhere. They weren't specific. They weren't very specific, were they? She was in Europe. That's in all Europe they said. somewhere. Yeah. And we are talking in this episode about the sixth episode of season three of Orphan Black, Certain Agony of the Battlefield. I, let me try that again. Certain acting of the battlefield. <laughs> and while there will be some spoilers for that episode, we will have no spoilers for future episodes. And by some spoilers, you mean we are going to be talking about everything that happened in the episode. <laughs> yes, it's all spoilers in this episode. More or less. Yeah. So can I start with the thing that made me happiest about this episode, Chris? Please do. Since I didn't get to do the short episode, do you have any guesses? I already guessed that it, that it was Delphine's return, and you said it wasn't. It was not. It was so, not. So, I I don't know. Ksenia <laughs> Solo in her underwear? <laughs> Close. Adjacent to that, we had Kasima, who did not keep her bra on while having sex this time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that is hilarious, but now that you say it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, that is what Stephanie would say. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, she looks strapless. <laughs> you perv. I was less happy about the possibility of boobs and more just happy that it was more realistic. <laughs> I know I'm teasing. <laughs> but that was the thing that made me the most happy in this episode. Second happy moment was when... Kasima was so compassionate toward Gracie that that moment made me made me kind of gooey on the inside. Me too. It was a nice moment. It was. I just I neglected to mention it because there was so much other stuff going on. <laughs> and then, of course, my third happy moment is when Helena comes back and gets Sarah and says, people miss us. <sighs> I have a lot of feelings about that, but we'll get to it. We'll get to we, it. That's true. So, because we should start with Paul. This was really this was Paul's episode. It was. So Davia, her or slash Davia, we're still not sure how to say your name. Please tell us. 
She said, it feels like we are where we should be at this point. Helena and Sarah, the twins are together. Sarah has made peace with Bess. Beth. Allison is in charge at home. Kasima is using her scientific knowledge to move forward. Rachel is stuck in a cage of her own making. Most of the caster clones are gone. <laughs> Which, gee, are you are you happy about that, Stephanie? Uh, well, I'm not entirely sure that they are. But most. Well, well, who all? Okay, so we'll jumping ahead a little bit here. But who is dead now? <laughs> who is dead now? Paul, obviously. Uh-huh. What about what about Dr. Cody? Probably not. Yeah. What about what about Rudy? Probably not. Yeah. Almost about, definitely not. Yeah. What about Mark? I don't think so. Yeah. So But the, the only- corporal. The corporal died. He did? Paul killed him. Oh, that's right. Okay. That's how so, Paul died. Well, how Paul started to die. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I, I watched the episodes recently, but I watched the last two episodes back to back, so I've had to take in a lot of information in a re- relatively short amount of time. I do not recommend that, by the way. Watching those two episodes for the first time back to back, it was intense. <laughs> you told me you were going to do that yesterday, and I was like, that's ambitious, Stephanie. <laughs> and now you know why I said that. I know. it. Would, I didn't plan to. It just kind of happened that way. I, I've been really busy the past few weeks. So, I, I, is that most? I don't know. I guess so. Who do we have left? We have Rudy left. We have Mark left. Period? That we know of. Okay. That's what, okay. Right. So, she's right. Okay. Most of the caster clones we've met are now gone. Fair point. And I suppose to contribute also my general thoughts about this episode, I, I really liked this episode generally. I didn't like it as much as last week's episode. Last week's episode I enjoyed quite a bit. I guess I'll go ahead and say that too. But I guess I'll, I can go into more detail about last week's episode later. But I thought it was a solid episode. We got to see people doing things that were irredeemable and people doing things that were redeemable. And it it felt like a, a good, solid Orphan Black episode to me. Mm-hmm. I concur. And clearly had this interesting theme of we do terrible things for the people we love. Which, I mean, there's a good way to sum up Orphan Black. <laughs> right? Right. For sure. For sure. That is that is a theme that runs throughout the series, not just this episode. But let's talk about Paul. Poor Paul. Poor Paul. He, okay, I guess I have a song for this. Double reverse quadruple agent man. Double reverse quadruple <laughs> agent man. Or at least he thought he was. <laughs> That is an odd song. <laughs> it's hard. Well, it's just supposed to be secret agent. It's hard to shove all of those vowels into just a space for two. <laughs> I'm aware. I said vowels. I meant syllables. <laughs> I knew what you meant. I just I just accepted whatever you said. <laughs> oh, thank you, Chris. We get along so much better when you do that. <laughs> <sighs> Sigh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But but meanwhile, double reverse quadruple agent, I'm pretty sure I saw that move in, in a skating championship once. <laughs> right? Executed by, by Brian Boitano, Elvis, not Presley. Shoot, what's his last name? Elvis Stoico? Oh, shoot. I've lost all my figure skater names. Now I've just got really old ones like Scott Hamilton and Brian Boitano who don't skate anymore. But, you know, maybe they maybe that's who I'm talking about. You know, it works. I don't know that either of them ever did quadruple jumps, though. That's become a newer thing. I was just making it's a joke. How, I, it's, I, not, <laughs> it's not really important stuff. <laughs> I know, but this is how my brain works, Chris. <laughs> I'm aware. 
But I'm trying to get clear of where Paul's loyalties... What? Okay. So Paul was a mole in Dyad for yes. the Caster Project. Yes. But he also seemed to have been a mole within the Caster Project, at least recently, because he had that contact at Arlington and was talking about concerns with the project. Or did those concerns just pop up literally last episode? I don't know, but I would like to now take a gloatment... Because okay. I called that. <laughs> did you? Did you call that? I did. That Paul was maybe like acting as as a double agent within the Caster Project. Because he started investigating last episode. Or at least we saw him investigating last episode. So that was that was my speculation, was that maybe Paul was going to report back to Arlington with what they were doing there, so... Because Dr. Cody, I forget which episode it was, but one of the early episodes in the season did make that comment about the project hanging on by a thread. So mm -hmm. it would it would make sense that there would be some sort of investigation into the Castor project, given that comment. Right. Because I think that was at least ostensibly why she sent Paul in was to put them off. But yeah. Wrong wrong call, Dr. Cody. <laughs> Because it turns out Paul is actually, like, a really decent guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is good. I'm so glad that we finally know that. Yes. He's really been all over the map for us in in, in this series, like like many of the characters. But we really see him in this episode just being a, a true ally to Sarah and to women and just to human decency and morality generally. <laughs> like he, he just gets to be, to do the right thing here. Which is such a relief. And there was actually a, an interview with Dylan Bruce where he was talking about how he kind of felt it coming. Like I guess at uh, San Diego comic con last year, he suspected that he was going to die. He said to, to Graham Manson, apparently he was like, he leaned over and said, so, so tell me, I'm, I'm dying this season, aren't I? <laughs> and so Graham said, yeah, and had him over to his place and said, they, they had a discussion about, about the whole situation. And I guess, I guess that was specifically what Dylan Bruce asked for was, he, he wanted his motivations clear, and he wanted to get a noble death, I guess, essentially. And I think he does. He he makes it clear that his intention within the Castor project, at least at the at the beginning, was to try to find a a cure for sick men. And that's partially why he went into Dyad. But now he realized that the Castor project's goals have changed and he's willing to risk his life and and end his life indeed in order to stop what they're to stop the evil things that they've been doing. So I, I think he does manage to have a noble death. I don't know that, you know, he still did some terrible things that I kind of look back and go, really, Paul, did you have to do that? But but I do think it was noble. It redeemed him as a character. Right. Well, and, you know, we finally get a sense of what his motivations were for doing all those super shady things that he did before, because he was trying to save the lives of the guys that he was serving with. So it it was a good intention, if not good action. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I guess that's how the theme fits for him, because he did do terrible things for the people that he cared about, if, if not loved. Because I was thinking about what he did in this episode, and I'm like, I don't know if I think it's all that terrible that he destroyed that research that was fueling Dr. Cody's 
unauthorized experimentation on unsuspecting women, but things that he did beforehand, for sure, he did terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he kind of did what he had to do with blowing up all the all the science. Because you know that if even if Dr. Cody didn't survive, all that information would just go on to some other team and the research would continue, so. Right. Or at least that was the implication. But you're thinking that, that Dr. Cody and Rudy survived, even probably. though... Probably. Probably. I just... I, I think that's the good thing to assume, because in TV, especially supernatural genre TV type stuff, if you don't see the death, don't assume it happened. Pretty much. But I, I did wonder, just because Sarah was still close enough that she... While she wasn't killed, she did get... She could have been possibly injured from the blast. Right. No, I mean, like, realistically, I don't think they would have, but because it's TV, they probably did, is what I'm getting at here. I hope they one of them is at least injured, though, if we see them in subsequent episodes. Right. I mean, they should be. Yeah. I'd have a hard time believing that they managed to get completely clear of the blast, so at least some scratches. That's all I ask for. Scratches. Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> like attractive tv scratches or sure that'll work like a little cuts over the eye you know that sort of thing exactly exactly (laughs) it's you know but but rudy he's he's a guy he can be a little bit more rugged you know have a larger gash going on and still be attractive but dr cody small attractive you know ladylike scratches on her face (laughs) oh tv Annette says, I always thought it was Paul who told Dyad about Kira. The photos Rachel was looking at of Sarah and Kira in season two, episode nine, were the same ones Paul had taken in season one. I always said the only way Paul could redeem himself to me is if he sacrificed himself. It was sad, and I will miss him, but he went out a hero. I feel like I should also mention that we have gotten several messages from various people along the lines of, you know, Paul was okay, but I'll miss looking at him. Oh, that's... Oh. (laughs) Basically, they, you know, like, they'll kind of miss Paul, but they'll really miss hot Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I will say on those lines... You're all shallow. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I will say uh, on those lines that I have been enjoying looking at him more recently because I like the beard. I like him beardy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you tend towards preference of, of beardy guys since you also preferred Cal? Not really, but Paul previously was just a little too clean cut and put together for my tastes, I guess. A little preppy. He's been less so this season. You have said before that you like people a little dirtier. <laughs> I do. I do. Though really, I've discovered my, my type is, is men with sensitive eyes and floppy hair. <laughs> Interesting. Hence Cal. Fair enough. <laughs> Learning a lot about you. I'm, I'm so glad. Nobody else is. <laughs> glad, I mean. <laughs> Everybody else is like, this conversation took a weird turn. Took a weird turn. <laughs> but I was, I, I'm surprised that They've killed Paul when he was, uh, quite frankly, finally becoming so relevant again. But, like, isn't that when they do that kind of thing? I suppose. But it still doesn't feel like they used him all that much this season before killing him. Right. In the past two episodes, sure. 
but before that, not not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I'd actually kind of wondered if it was going to happen. Especially since in the episode before this one, there was the whole interaction with Sarah and Helena. And Helena's like, you know, maybe, maybe your, your next, next Paul. Paul. And then does yeah. the little neck snappy motion. And then Sarah's all like, yeah, Paul, maybe you're next. Yeah. Except, you know, Britisher. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Chris, except Britisher. <laughs> It's not a word. I know it's not a word. <laughs> you make a good point. You make a good point. About being Britisher and how that's not a word? That too, but also <laughs> about the about the clearly deliberate foreshadowing in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Also, side note, we got a message from Tom, and Tom mentioned that Paul says something about six caster clones, but we've only seen five. And here's my question. Because I, I'm not sure about this, because I didn't have closed captioning on or anything. But did he say six caster clones, like the number six? Or did he say sick because they were sick? And this is from when he was talking to Dr. Cody, correct? I think so. He makes some comment about the fact that, you know, before it was about... Oh, no, it was to the doctor. Mm, mm-hmm. Before it was about curing... I thought he said six cast- six clones or six men, and now it's become this other thing. But I could totally see where he might have also said sick. Right, because it works either way. Curing sick. It does. Curing six soldiers, curing six soldiers. I'm not sure what he said. So if anybody had captions on, let us know that those aren't always correct, but we'd be curious to know what it says. So shall we move on to the clone diseases, since we're... Talking about six sick caster clones. Okay. So this episode reveals a bit about the current reason for Project Caster. The current raison d'etre for Project Caster is weaponizing this defect that causes infertility in women. First of all, yuck and yuck. Right. And ew. And ew. But I will point out that we still don't really know why either Project Caster or Project Lita was really created to begin with. I feel like that mystery is still lingering a bit, or at least I don't feel like we have a clear answer. Right. It wasn't really clear whether or not this was part of the original intent or not. I'm inclined to think not by what Duncan said. But it could just be he didn't know that was the original intent. Right. That's, I guess, sort of what I'm getting at here is I'm not sure what to believe about anything anymore. It's kind yeah. of the problem. Yeah. But we did get an answer for those little black books and why they were writing down women's names and taking hair samples. I will say that last week, and you might have said this, but I didn't hear your conversation yet. I apologize. I will go back and listen to last week's episode. <laughs> Slacker. No, it's fine. I know. I know. I'm it's fine. Out of time. I will say last week when I saw that both Gracie and the woman that Rudy had had sex with had the red eyes, I was worried that was indicating that they had been infected, but with whatever creutzfeldt jakob type disease that we've been seeing the castor clones have. Mm-hmm. And at first, when I was getting the sense that those books were indicating that she was, you know, she knew about the fact that they were passing this on and kind of tracking these women, I was like, oh, 
no, she did not. I, I thought maybe she might have been trying to get the disease out into the population to, like, funnel more funding her way. Oh. Does, do you see what I'm thinking? Like, when a disease get, becomes more prominent and more people have it, it's easier to get funding for research and such. Mm-hmm. So that was my first thought. But ultimately, it's just that she was... What? It was a trial for how this particular defect sterilizes women? Because it didn't seem that these women die. Mm -hmm. Was that your sense from this episode? They were sterilized, but the disease didn't kill them the way that it has the castor clones. Right. It doesn't seem like it. Okay. So, yay? (laughs) I mean, it could have been worse. I I don't know how to feel about this information besides ew and yuck. Pretty much. And I I did ask, or rather question the science behind this just because like i don't know (laughs) in the short episode Mm -hmm. and so we got a message from zoe in listening to your first impressions podcast i am writing to answer chris's science question i'm a professor of biomedical engineering and while diseases and cloning are not my area of expertise i think i can help clarify some of the science i believe the defect as they've been calling it is a protein folding mistake kasima said this called a prion This can be contagious and also has the capacity to be localized to one part of the body. For example, mad cow disease is a prion disorder where sick cows have misfolded proteins, and when a healthy cow or human comes in contact with these proteins, their healthy proteins change shape and become malformed. Unlike other diseases, this does not require anything other than the prions to propagate, no bacteria, viruses, etc., and is very difficult to get rid of. If the castor clones have this malformed protein in their ejaculate, this could easily be an STD. As for the Lita clones, based on what Dr. Cody said, it sounds like the protein that is misfolded in these clones is a protein that affects the tissue type that lines most of our organs, epithelial tissue. Think reproductive, digestion, breathing, and skin. I'm not positive if this can be the same protein as the castor clones have. I have to think about it some more. So thank you, Zoe, for that science info, because that is helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good information. Thanks, Zoe. And I know we have more sciencey people who listen to our podcast, so if y'all have any thoughts as well, please send them our way. Is it weird that I'm kind of astonished that sciencey people, like, listen to us? <laughs> yes, I do, because I feel like they should just think, what morons? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is also why I, yeah. I'm a little surprised, but thank you, I guess. Yes, I'm really happy that they're crawling out of the woodwork because I know in our earlier episodes when we were talking about season one, we're like, people who know science, tell us what this means. (laughs) Tell us if we're wrong. (laughs) But back to the Dr. Cody's intention for using this, for potentially weaponizing this caster defect as like a sterilization tool. I am assuming what she was intending, because she says something like, it could end wars, is the idea of sterilizing countries that are deemed to be troublemakers. Is that what you were thinking as well? I, I don't know. I mean, yes. Basically, she's like, we could stop war by causing genocide. Yeah. Is basically what she's saying. Which is just like, she makes it sound like it's some noble goal to stop war by killing people, essentially. Like, it's, uh it's so twisted. Yeah, that, that comment, something about, we can, we can stop it within a generation. Ugh. 
by getting rid of the people that a certain group of people deem to be not good people. But see, it's a good thing now because we have it and we're good people. If this was something that the people we think are bad people have, it would be a bad thing. Genocide is bad, kids. (laughs) Thank you for that PSA. My other PSA for this episode, use a condom, kids. (laughs) Because, yeah. Just, if you're having sex with somebody you're not particularly familiar with, use a condom, kids. I am so annoyed. With Rudy, especially. Well, because he knew and slept with them anyway. He is the worst. Rudy's gotta go. Rudy has got to go. He's like a guy or a woman who knows they have HIV and don't tell their partners and have unprotected sex. He's terrible. I was having a conversation the other day with, with, I think it was with Rebecca, and we were sort of discussing, like, who should get to take out Rudy. (laughs) And I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh because I'm discussing murder. TV murder. TV murder. (laughs) And... So basically, I've come to the conclusion it should either be Gracie or Patty. Okay. And then then it's like, oh, now I really want it to be Patty. Yeah, I do And maybe Helena can, like, supervise and offer helpful tints. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. Anyway. I like this idea. I like this idea. I actually really did like that actress, and I was happy to see her back in this episode. Last week's episode. Oh, last week's episode. See, sorry, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna mi- mesh them together. I apologize. I shall. I'll, I shall attempt to help you differentiate. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We also got some clarification in this episode about the likely whereabouts of the Castor compound. It seems to be in Mexico, mm-hmm. which I can. I can go for that. I we had a conversation before about whether the buildings look like. Pueblos, and it's the shape of like the doors and the windows that didn't look right to me. But I could, I could buy that it's an old Spanish mission or Mexican mission, which has similar building techniques, but the shape of the building is a bit different. Mm-hmm. When once they started saying that, I was like, oh yeah, it does kind of remind me of like the Alamo and some of the other missions that I visited. Right. There is also a, a shot when Helena is escaping. One of the things that she sort of leaps past. <laughs> oh, is a Catholic like yes. statue of a saint or Mary or something. I saw yes. that. Mm-hmm. But they definitely were not in the United States because the doctor makes a comment about when the project was stateside, as in it was in the past. So they've recently moved out of the United States since Paul was out in the field, it sounds like. Ah, good call. We also got a comment from Celestine who asks, do you think it's possible that Mark's castor STD is what caused Gracie to lose her baby? We don't have any other information about the women in the logbooks, so we don't know if Gracie is the first girl to be pregnant while exposed. I think it might be a possibility. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's quite likely from what we've seen of of the little snippets that we got to see of the medical records. I think that's very likely what happened. Also, I should add, Celestine actually sent that in before this most recent episode aired. So, because I think, I think the information we just got confirms this speculation. I agree. So, shall we talk about something a little less gross and a lot more Sarah? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Let's talk about Sarah, who had a very strange storyline in this episode. And how do you feel about this storyline, Stephanie? Oh. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? 
Do do you want do you want to voice my opinion for me? I'd be curious if you get it if you are correct. <laughs> um, if I'm recalling what you told me earlier correctly, <laughs> you are not a big fan of like dream sequency type things. I am not a big fan of surrealism, and there's been a lot actually this season, especially in this episode. See, I kind of like it. It depends. It depends, but I kind of like it. I can get on board with Pupak because he actually is quite related to what a person who's been as abused as Helena might do. Mm-hmm. So to me, that while it's surreal, it's actually grounded in realism. But the, the dream sequences and stuff aren't really my bag. I kind of... Uh, I don't I don't particularly care for them. I think they were beautifully filmed. There were several moments during especially the Sarah Beth confrontation when I just thought the the editing and the directing and the cinematography were excellent. That but scene was I, so well done. It really was. It really was. But I'm not a huge fan of of the surrealism, though it was a great avenue to introduce Beth into an episode. Right. We'd been wondering how they were going to do that. We didn't think they'd do a flashback, and so yeah. I like it. I like that they found sort of an innovative way to do that. So, And what did you think of that conversation between Sarah and Beth? I thought it was pretty interesting. And yeah, it's it's caused a lot of conversation online, I think. Because there's sort of this whole debate now, I guess. Like, was it all in Sarah's head? Was there a, a supernatural kind of element to it? Was it... Was it a dream? Was it a vision? Was it a hallucination? Like, what What do we think it was? Because Cosima's dream at the end of season two was very, of Delphine, was very similar, I think, to what we see Sarah experience in this episode. Right. It reminded me of that scene, and it reminded me of the scene in the first season where Sarah has that sort of, I guess, I don't know if it's a dream or if it's... A, a representation of her subconscious or something where where she sees the testing going on. Yeah, to me that seemed more like she was drugged and hazy because of being drugged but kind of coming out of it at times and she could remember that especially when jogged by the probe or whatever she finds in her the lead that she found in, finds in her mouth. So that one I was less of a dream sequence to me. But definitely Well, but I mean I guess what I'm getting at here, though, the the first scene in this episode where she has, like, she goes through the the military base and goes into the little tent fort thing that Kira had made, and then she goes into the room where she's getting the transfusion from Rudy, and that specifically is what I'm talking about that reminds me of the scene from season one. Oh, absolutely. I can see that. Yeah, I did. Me too. Because, like, that probably happened. But yeah, but it was, yeah, it was told in, in a symbolic dream language, whereas the other one was more literal. Fair enough. But I think they are tackling more of the, the realm of the supernatural, I guess, for lack of a better word, this season. Mm-hmm. And, and spiritual. Yeah, the spiritual, the supernatural, but as an outside the natural world, not necessarily they're we're going to start seeing vampires, though I am still I am still worried about Justin Chatwin's character. I know we saw him in sunlight, but I still have my doubts. <laughs> it's like what kind of vampire is he? <laughs> Cause certain versions of vampires are fine in the daylight. I know, I know. So exactly. <laughs> I'm still concerned. 
I am joking. I want to be clear. I'm joking. I don't know if Stephanie's joking, but I am. I never joke about anything, Chris. I don't know what you're talking about. But you especially <laughs> never joke about vampires. I know. No, vampires are serious business. So I, I get where this is just something that they're exploring this season. I just, it's not really my bag, per- personally. On the other hand, I like it. I like that they're going down this this path, because it's not something that they often do in, like, hard sci-fi. So I like that they're exploring it. We got a comment from Francie about it, and she said, The fever dreams, especially when the tent turned into the military base. It reminded me a lot of Buffy's Restless. It reminded me of that, too, especially that whole going from set to set thing, I think, which is very dreamlike. I wonder if they were able to do it as easily as they did on Buffy. Yeah, I don't know. Because in the Buffy episode, they they literally had actors just walk from set to set. And the way that sets are, are built is that you'll have sets that are completely unrelated built next to each other. So they were just walking through the sets as they actually existed on the stage. But I feel like it was probably more complicated here. But I could be wrong. They probably did have to adjust a couple of things, but... But the effect is the same. I found the confrontation between Sarah and Beth compelling. I was interested to see how Beth was. But then you, I, I'm left with the question, is, is, was that really how Beth was supposed to be? Or is that a projection of Sarah's? This is how Sarah thinks Beth would be. And that's why Beth acts the way she does. Right. I mean, that's sort of what I'm getting at here is if there's... There are the layers to it, right? Because you're not sure if it is new information or if it's just stuff that maybe Sarah has had in the back of her mind that, you know, like maybe Beth is Sarah's poopock. I mean, I don't know, you know? (laughs) Right. Is Beth just giving Sarah perspective that she already has? It's just being communicated to her through a very particular way. Like we see poopock tell Helena to do things. I also appreciated the interesting set decoration changes that they made. Are you talking about, like, the drawings on Mrs. S's refrigerator and such? Yes, I am. Yeah. I love those drawings. I paused the episode so I could get a closer look. And what did you see? There are two of, I think it's Sarah and Helena on either side of Kira. And there's one of Helena and Kira, and then there's one of the five sisters. I'll have to go back and take a closer look. But yes, I I appreciated that as well. Though I'm not sure if the fifth sister was supposed to be Beth or Rachel. Hmm. I'm a little confused about that. Yeah, that's a good question. Or maybe it's not. Maybe the fifth is like Felix or Mrs. S. I'm not sure. Or Cal. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that in Sarah's vision of Beth, she still was popping pills. This was not a fully content afterlife Beth. Right. Beth still had anger and was represented as still having addiction problems. And it was, it was it was a very interesting sequence, a very interesting confrontation. And how the entire encounter also ended the same way that their only actual real life encounter ended. So yeah, I do have questions, let's say. But I thought it was great to see Kira again, both in the dream sequences and on Skype. It made me really happy to see Skylar Wexler's adorable, happy little face. 
She's so adorable. She is. I just, I love her a lot. But that broke my heart when she's all, is mommy mad at me? I know. But of course, they can't tell her or they won't tell her, oh, no, your mother's missing. Well, that <laughs> would just would make things worse. Exactly. And it, yeah, that was hard, that conversation between Mrs. S and Felix and Kira. Like, heartwarming, but also hard to watch. But Mrs. S was being super cute, too. With yeah, She was. She misses with you enormously and then enormously. gestures. How yes. enormously. I also take note of the fact that the fort that Kira built in Felix's apartment was featured in the first dream sequence with Sarah. And I'm wondering, and that's, and that's where she hid Helena's embryos. And I'm wondering if that is a hint that those might come into play soon. The fact that we saw the fort again. I am going to say that that is a bit of a stretch, but I hope so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I It's just a thought. I, I could totally be wrong. I'm often wrong when it comes to, to Orphan Black. I accept this. Well, I mean, to me, in in my mind, I guess, because we're in Sarah's mind, the fort is where... Well, I guess she didn't know that, though. I was going to say the fort was where Rudy had been, but she didn't see him in there, only Kira did. No, I feel like the... Well, I feel like maybe you're being more literal than I'm being. But you know, the fort in the... I in totally the, am being literal, yes. <laughs> but no, the fort in the dream obviously represented a place where Kira was to share, to Sarah. And then... But I'm saying since the writers showed us the tent again, if that's like a little bit of foreshadowing that we might see the embryos come into play soon. Ah, yes. A a hint to the audience is what you're saying. <laughs> this Yes, this is what I'm saying. Okay. Like Helena saying, you you might be next, P- Dirty Paul, or whatever she says. <laughs> Speaking of Helena, shall we move on to Helena? Oh, let's please do. Yes, please, let's do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm excited. I, oh, I, okay. <laughs> Chris is having trouble discerning my enthusiasm today. <laughs> She's just suspicious of it's me. It's been so long since we've talked, Stephanie. <laughs> You've forgotten what my enthusiasm sounds like. I'll try to remind you. Maybe I just assume all of your enthusiasm is fake now. I don't know. I don't trust it anymore. Orphan Black has messed with my emotions and the scale is way off. I don't know. I don't know at all. Never mind. (laughs) But Helena chose Sarah over Pupak. And I have a lot of feelings about it. And chomped him, chomped him, chomped him. What are your feelings, Chris? Or her? Chomped her? Chomped Pupak. I don't know. There we go. I don't know. If Pupak even really has a gender, necessarily. Doesn't matter. Pupak is just Pupak. Yes. And I mentioned this in the short episode, but if you will recall, the first we saw of Pupak on the show was at the end of Helena's dream sequence that opens up the season. Mm-hmm. Pupak crawls out of Helena's pregnant belly. And Graham Manson did tweet something about how Pupak had been eaten before. So, anyway, I also had a discussion with, I think it was Sally earlier today about, well, you know, what do we think Pupak represents? And to me, Pupak is probably like Helena's survival instinct made manifest. And so Helena's kind of like, I'm good now, thanks. (laughs) So she basically, yeah, she she traded in Pupak for Sarah because it's like, well, I have Sarah now. I don't really need you right now, so. And it, that's that's why I have a lot of feelings. It was pretty darn great 
to see her show up again and come back to to get Sarah. After the heartbreak of last week's episode, even though I knew it was coming when when Helena deserted Sarah, it was it was great to see her I guess having worked out her anger at Sarah and come back for her. Right. I mean, they did end it on that note of, you know, Helena sort of realizing that she was going to regret it, but not being able to do anything about it at that moment. So, so yeah. Although it was kind of interesting because it, we do find out in this episode, I think they said something like five days that Sarah had been missing. So I think maybe a few days had passed between the two episodes, the last two episodes. So it's kind of a miracle that Helena made it, is what I'm saying. I w- it made me happy, though, that she was smart enough to steal a canteen from the truck before she left. Yes. I wish that she had maybe found two or three canteens in the truck, but at least she got one. Right. There was somebody, I don't remember if it was somebody who sent us a message or if it was just a comment I saw online, but somebody was sort of like, you know, why did she grab a canteen and not like a gun? And I'm like, because you can't survive off of a gun <laughs> if you're going to run into some unknown desert. You know what I mean? And from what we've seen of Helena, while she will use weapons, she's she's pretty well equipped as, at hand-to-hand combat. So she really needs the canteen way more than she needs a gun. Because Helena is a weapon. Exactly. <laughs> she's got a weapon. Did you see those biceps? <laughs> Slash thighs. I was very impressed with Helena's legs last episode. If they were, in fact... Tatiana Mislani's legs. They might have been a stunt double. But uh, very muscly, muscular. They did hire a contortionist to do that. So there you go. But yes, Helena jumping down and crawling to, to Sarah, which actually Francie said, when Helena found Sarah, her whole appearance reminded me of a caveman, which I think is fitting after Dr. Cody said, the science in this room could rewrite the very nature of humankind. It reminded me a bit of Gollum. She was also <laughs> Gollum-y in the last episode as well when she had the shackles on her feet and was scooting toward the grate. But when she popped down, I was like, oh, it's Gollum. <laughs> but she was friendly, so it was Smeagol. <laughs> oh, there we go. It was Smeagol more than Gollum. Somebody else actually commented to me that Helena doing that reminded her of sort of like moving like a scorpion, actually. So... And it it also had a bit of a childlike quality to it, which is very Helena to go from to Mm -hmm. be both instantly frightening and childlike. I love Helena so much. (laughs) I mean, I felt pretty confident that since she came back, she did not come back to do Sarah harm. But there's still there's still an unpredictability factor with Helena. You're like, oh, no. okay, it's okay, It's okay, It's okay. The fascinating thing about Helena to me is that you're sort of constantly going between like, oh God, what is she going to do? And thank goodness it's Helena. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But yeah, and she goes over to Sarah and come, Sestra, people miss us. Oh, and I have heart so melts. many feelings. Heart melts. I lack a heart now. It's all <laughs> melted down onto my stomach. <laughs> uh. I was going to to make a joke about how we sometimes tease you about being heartless on the other podcast, but I won't. I won't. <laughs> oh, but another thing. We finally got the return of the Helena Screech. 
Oh, that's right. I thought so. As I was watching, I was realizing, oh, we've got Helena Screeches in this episode. It feels like it's been a while since we've had Helena Screeches. It has. It's the first time this season. Okay. There was a conversation that happened on Twitter earlier this week where I was talking about, oh, I, I should mention too, the Orphan Black soundtrack and score have both been released. And we are super excited about it. So excited. Especially and- the score. Exactly. And so I was listening to the score. And so I was tweeting about, you know, yay, Orphan Black music. And, you know, how doing the dishes will be way more exciting with Helena's theme playing, you know, stuff like that. And (laughs) (laughs) what do you not do that? Do you not do chores to exciting scores? Uh, not scores, no, but I will now. That's a good idea. (laughs) It is like, there's nothing better than vacuuming to like the Mission Impossible theme song. It makes the mundane seem way dun, more dun, exciting. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Here I come and after just, you, dust bunnies. I'm, I'm hoovering you up, dust bunnies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can I can totally see why that's an important aspect to chores. Anyway, but I was talking about this, and then Dan actually tweeted back, "Have we even heard the Helena screech this season?" And because I had tagged the composer Trevor Yule, Yule, do we know? We do not know. Or I do not know. Okay. I tagged him in the tweet, and so Dan Dan's message had both the podcast and the composer tagged. And so Trevor Yuli Yule, I don't know, I'm sorry, <laughs> responded with dot 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 not yet. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I think it's coming. And it, here it was. Because basically the the Pupak Purr had replaced the Helena Screech. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to note, actually. It suggests that we have Pupak dominating Helena. Right. Well, see, that's sort of what I'm thinking, too, with, with Pupak being the embodiment of Helena's survival instinct. Like, it is, it is outside her body now. Like, it's not part of her. It's not within her like it is now and was before so yeah like i mentioned before their pupak reminds me of some actual uh, things that can happen to in response to the threat of abuse in, in children especially and what i'm thinking of specifically is personality fragmenting this is often how people develop dissociative identity disorder mm, is mm-hmm. they, they suffer abuse and they create different personalities that have different ways of cope, of helping them cope with the abuse that they're suffering. This isn't that, obviously, but I do think it's a play on that, where mm-hmm. we have Helena projecting this other little personality that helps her in these bad situations. And then now that she, and, and, and dominates her, we see her, we see Pupak directing Helena how to act, even though Helena's like, but my sister, she tears at my heart and wants to go back. Pupak overrides her and gets her to to leave the the compound. Right. But now we see her swallowing Pupak, becoming whole again, and the Helena screech comes back, and that means Helena's back. She's in control now of her actions again. Fully. But it was very exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting. So let's talk a little bit about Felix and Gracie and Rachel and all of that going on at Dyad this week. So stressful. (laughs) Oh... It's interesting seeing Gracie being adopted into the the group. Right. Specifically, in you know, being taken under Mrs. S. and Felix's wing. 
I liked that in this episode, Mrs. S tells Gracie, you know, you don't have to serve us. It's clear that she's trying to break Gracie of some very subservient habits that she developed at her father's farm. Mm -hmm. But yes, we did get a message on Tumblr from Cyclone Rachel saying, Something I enjoyed from this week's episode that you didn't mention, Felix and Cosima with Gracie, and both of them treating her like their younger sister. Also, there was at least one point where I noticed Paul going into Terminator mode. Yes, I enjoy Paul in Terminator mode. (laughs) But yes, I didn't mention it in the short episode because there was so much stuff to talk about, but I I loved that too. That was one of my favorite moments was especially like Cosima zipping up her jacket and, and having the little pep talk and yeah. It it was nice, sort of Kazima trying to reassure her, I guess. And I feel like this is this is how Kazima tends to be with people. She for 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 Sarah, for Helena, now for Gracie, she is a very warm welcomer to this weird ride that they're on. And and like I said, I just I loved that moment between Kazima and Gracie where she's telling Gracie that she shouldn't feel like a monster because she's relieved she can't have children link. It it was a lovely, lovely moment. And I just, I adored it. Yes. I actually liked that, that whole exchange with, you know, Gracie saying that it was sort of a relief that, you know, or or I was expected to have children and, you know, it's kind of a relief that I don't have to now. Because that's, that's sort of an interesting commentary, I feel like, too. I was also wondering if Kasima might share with Gracie that she can't have children either. Mm-hmm. I I was curious for a moment how much she might go into that with Gracie, if at all. And she didn't, which is fine. It was still a lovely moment. But I, I did wonder, like, oh, is she going to reveal that she can't either? But there are still four episodes left, and it seems like Gracie's not going anywhere, so. They could still have that talk. Exactly. Because really, Gracie is part of the family now, technically. She's their in-law, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. And I, I think I like Gracie. Like, she's she's always scared me a little. <laughs> Even when I felt more sympathetic toward her, she'd have moments where I just thought, oh, she gives me chills. But I think I'm, I think I'm okay with the idea of Gracie becoming folded into the little, the little group that they're developing. Right. Well, and I think part of what helps it is that, you know, Mrs. S has really stepped in as surrogate mother. Yes. And I think that's going to do Gracie a lot of good. Yes. And we also see Felix warming to her, albeit more slowly than Mrs. S. (laughs) What what is it he says to her? Something about, he calls her my little urchin. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is better than baby Jesus, which he called her in the last episode. (laughs) Though it did make me laugh when he called her that. (laughs) Yes. But speaking of Felix, oh, Felix. Uh, Oh, Felix. I so don't know how to feel about this. Well. Uncomfortable, really, is. Yeah. I think you can feel about it any way you feel about it. But for me personally, I don't like that Felix did what he did. Mm -hmm. I understand it. I understand that from, from maybe the writer's perspective, it was used as a way to just demonstrate his desperation right in this situation the fact that he has no idea where his sister is but but i don't i don't really think as the audience we're supposed to root for him and no I'm- and i mean 
I think that's clear on Felix's face, too. Like, once he realizes what he's doing, how far he's letting himself go, you can see him regret it. I find it incredibly interesting, thinking back to season two, to that episode where we see Paul force the gun into Felix's hand, and I remember just the ugh, the loathing I felt for Paul in that episode, to see Felix, who's usually our moral center of the show. In this episode, we see them kind of switching roles a bit. We see Paul really becoming, you know, this beacon of morality and Felix abusing and humiliating a disabled woman with limited faculties. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, again, we're back to this whole idea of we do terrible things for the people we love, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I've also been thinking this week, or I'm pretending like I've unnecessarily pretending like it's been a week since I've watched the episode. It's been hours. (laughs) I've been thinking these past few hours about the fact that I would not say that Rachel deserved it in this episode. Right. And I think that has to do with power. Who who has power and who is powerless? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of season two, when she gets hit in the eye with a pencil, we had this, this feeling of deserved it. Because she had the power, Sarah was powerless. But here, Rachel has been made powerless, and we see Felix bullying her, essentially. Right. And and for that, I can't say she deserved it, even though she did do terrible things to our beloved clones in the past. And this show is so good about playing with those dynamics. Absolutely. And, and you know, making us all terribly uncomfortable about everything that's happening. Because... It is one of those things. You you see where everybody's coming from. You know, you can see how they might even get to this point where they've justified it to themselves, but like it still doesn't make it right objectively, you know? Absolutely. No, you I feel like you have you have some compassion for Felix. You can just see how worried he is about Sarah before he even gets to Rachel's room. Mm-hmm. You can see how worried he is about Sarah. Uh, but I personally totally felt sorry for Rachel in this episode. The fact that both he treated her this that way and the fact that she clearly is so unhappy. She she pleads with him to get her out of there. Yes. Reminding me of Parsons in the, in the as like we saw in the two episodes ago. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. I never never would have predicted that I would feel this bad about Rachel, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you and I were not big Rachel fans last season. Like no. we we were happy when she got taken out. Right. <laughs> and But yeah, this is just, they've completely flipped it. She doesn't have any choice in the matter, and she is just as desperate, apparently, but to be free of Dyad, which is the struggle that they've all had since the beginning of the series. So, yeah. And, and now we know that she has important information, so... Are you referring to the, the code, the symbols that Scott found? I am. I have questions about the symbols. So do we think she knows that they are a code? Or do we think that they are some sort of symbol, symbology that Duncan taught her when she was young and she doesn't realize their importance? The latter. Okay. If I had to guess. I don't actually know, but that seems most logical to me, that it's something that Duncan taught her but didn't tell her why he was teaching her. Maybe it was like some fun game that they played and... It just happens to be extremely useful now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but Right. Because obviously, 
she wouldn't know that they would they would have been useful to her at the end of last season. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been panicking and trying to get the code out of Sarah and Duncan, etc. But right. but I am curious if she knows that he taught her a code when he was teaching her those symbols. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I'm sure they're coming back to it. I'm curious to see. Val sent us a message saying, I loved when Felix took the paintbrush and kept bopping Rachel on it, on the head. Thought that was so funny, even though I felt bad for her. And I thought he'd draw a better eyeball on her bandage than that. He is an artist, after all. Was that supposed to be an eye? Yes, that was and, supposed to be an eye. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and for a second, I first thought he might pull a Delphine and start pressing on her bandage. I was thinking, oh no, not him too. That eye has been through enough. Tatiana is so great with tears. It's an amazing talent. Like when Felix was yelling at Rachel all in her face, you see that single tear falling from her the good eye. Jordan Gavaris finally had some meaty stuff to work with, mainly with Rachel. Nut Up was such a great line of his in this ep. I also heard from like three different people who were very excited about the Nut Up line to Scott. Both of this week and last week, Jordan Gavaris did finally get some really good stuff to work with. He's been a bit benched this season, so I'm glad that he's got more to do in season mm-hmm. in episodes five and six. I do wonder if some of the characters that have been somewhat sidelined or not present in the first half of the season will really get a noticeable increase in screen time in the second half. I hope so. Me too. I really miss... Especially seeing F- Felix and Sarah together, but just Felix generally getting getting more stuff to do on screen. Though it's been nice what we've gotten to see him, you know, this developing relationship with Kasima, etc. I've liked what we've gotten. I just wish there was more. Right. As always, I never think there's enough Felix. Well, I hardly ever think there's enough Felix. <laughs> How about this? There is no such thing as too much Felix to you. Yes, exactly. Is that fair? A completely fair. Okay. So while Felix is usually the character bringing us sunshine and laughter and joy in the episode, he had and other plans. Nudity. Yes, and partial nudity. He had other plans this week. So to fill his place, thankfully, Donnie and Allison stepped up. <laughs> I'm still not sure how I feel about Donnie twerking at me. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought you loved Donnie. I do love Donnie. I was, though, very afraid that his junk might come flying out of his underwear at any moment, though. <laughs> and you, I've made clear how worried I am about unexpected junk in a previous episode. <laughs> and then I will once again reassure you, it is on BBC America, not Showtime. <laughs> For some or reason, Max. that doesn't comfort me enough. I still worry while watching. Okay. Okay. Fair they, enough. Thank goodness, though, they clearly had Christian Brune put on a, a, a an emergency thong, probably. <laughs> emergency thong. Okay. That comes from my partner who does burlesque. Wearing ah. An emergency thong in case there is underwear slippage. I see. Yes. It is an actual thing, then. Okay, it is an actual thing. Though he probably wasn't wearing an emergency thong. He was probably wearing an emergency junk sock or whatever the hell they call those things. <laughs> or a jock strap. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Not that men can't wear thongs. They can. <laughs> no judging. <laughs> Once again, the conversation took a weird turn, and I don't know what happened. 
But I, 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 I was mostly laughing throughout that scene. My partner, however, was sitting there <laughs> saying, I just don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Th- those do seem to be the two reactions I have seen about this scene. People were like, I can't unsee it. And then other people were like, let's see it again. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. But at the same time, I don't know that I would watch it again. I, I probably will. But yeah, it's in a weird, uncomfortable in-between place for me. <laughs> I, I confess, I have watched this episode, the entire episode, not just the scene, the entire episode I have watched four times. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I laugh every time. <laughs> Good to know. I hope I will laugh I laugh future. and I cry and I get very emotional about the episode, apparently. But yeah, then there was, there was the making it rain, <laughs> I believe they call it. <laughs> I believe they call it making it rain. <laughs> As Chris pushes up her huge glasses and adjusts her wig. <laughs> wig? Old ladies wear wigs sometimes. Oh, old lady. Oh, I thought you were going for nerd, in which case I was going to say adjusting my pocket protector, but <laughs> I don't remember where I put my pocket protector, actually. <laughs> anyway. Check your card again. <laughs> it's not in any of those. Okay. I know that much. Okay. I also did enjoy the, are these underwear tear away? <laughs> no, but the elastic's giving out. <laughs> <laughs> I did really like Dottie's underwear. I will say that. Gonna get just, get some for yourself? I might. I really enjoyed the color. It was a good color. Yeah. It was a much, a much needed upgrade from the underwear he was wearing in season one. Which were pretty basic. Yes, just kind of basic white under underwear, I believe. I appreciate that they just had them in, like, you know, your basic sort of standard underwear. Like, it's not, it's nothing fancy. No, no. It's, it's like those are things that real people would wear. Yeah, yeah. It was very average underwear. That's underwear that clear. It was not special underwear. It was just some stuff that ordinary people would wear. Yes. I also loved, loved, loved Jenna's little face. (laughs) That poor kid. Oh my gosh. It was the horror, the horror on her face. (sighs) Why is daddy covered in confetti? (laughs) Yes, there was money and confetti. (laughs) If you do go back and watch the episode again, pause it when... When Allison is whacking Donnie on the bum with the pillow, the face she is making is hilarious. Okay, I'll I'll go back and do that. <laughs> but yeah, I love that Christian Brune had like all this glitter stuck to his skin. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty great. I appreciate the research that apparently Helen Shaver did for directing that scene. Yes. As in watching rap videos in order... <laughs> Uh, rap and hip hop videos in order to to really give it an authentic feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know if you know this. Apparently, the scene came about because I guess they were filming episode three hundred two or something, and in between takes at some point or maybe several points, Tatiana Maslany and Christian Brune would break out into like a dance party. Mm-hmm. Would they twerk? And so, I I would not be surprised. I have seen Christian Brune twerking before this, so <laughs> apparently he was he was doing it a lot at Comic Con last year. That does not surprise me. I know, right? 
underwear and twerking. That is that is Christian Brune, apparently. In a nutshell. He likes to drop twow and twerk. <laughs> and now we've seen him do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. There you go. But we have a little more movement on the Allison and Donnie are trying to make a living as drug dealers plot line in that Allison is planning to buy bubbles. I got super excited when I saw the sign for bubbles. I thought that meant we might get to see Allison's mother. Sadly, not in this episode, but maybe soon. I think so. Yes. Because they were talking about buying bubbles from her mother. So you'd think they'd show that. Yeah, surely they'd have to show her trying to buy the store from her mother. Like having a conversation about it, I would think. We'll see. But I like that, oh, bubbles with the soaps. And that's why Allison knows how to do that. Yeah, me too. I thought that and and, and would make sense that she could easily take over that mm-hmm. that business. The fact that she'd already been using soaps and such as a front for selling drugs anyway. Right. But I do think it's interesting that like this is her plan now, given that earlier in the season she was all... You know, there is no way in hell I am working for my mother again. I mean, granted, this isn't working for as so much as taking over, but still, she seemed so adamantly against it. But maybe that's why it's so appealing, is that she is asserting a position, or, or she's like removing a way that her, fa- her mother has been in a, in a position of authority over her. That's a good point. Yeah. But Donnie and Allison, they continue to provide some good laughs. I also laughed pretty hard when Donnie was being an idiot with his new car. <laughs> oh, I. Donnie, you the moron. Subaru product placement. <laughs> but I, so I do find them entertaining. But it, I'm still feeling a little frustrated that their storyline is just so unrelated to the clone storyline this season. So far, yeah. So it, far, it is. It could come back around, but even in previous seasons where. You know, Allison's always been off in the suburbs, but her storylines have been way more connected to the fact that she is a clone in previous seasons. And this one, so far, really is not. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of think that this will maybe henceforth be known as the underwear episode. <laughs> because not only were the Hendrixes in their underwear, so was Shay. Hello, Shay. <laughs> I am so confused. Like, honestly, I'm so confused now because Shay's a foxy lady. Yes. And it's weird for me because I'm used to seeing Ksenia Solo as Kenzie. Yeah. Who's like... Little sister. You're your very beautiful little sister best friend, you yes. know. <laughs> and so it's like messing with my head now. I, I kind of have that too. I was like, Kenzie's doing very adult things. I'm not sure how I feel. <laughs> And then there's like the added weirdness of, I've met Ksenia Solo a couple of times and, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's messing with my head, apparently. It's messing with my head a bit too. But okay. I, I will say I still enjoy Kasima and Shay. I think they're cute. Good. We never, we never got your impressions of, of Shay. Oh, I like her. I thought they were especially cute in last week's episode, but they continue to be cute here. I thought so too. Thank you. Thank you for validating my feelings. And so much like... It felt like the entire internet was against me, Stephanie. <laughs> well, I mean, I can understand. People want Kasima to be with Delphine. I, I understand that. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, I, I like Kasima and Shay. I think they're cute. I, I like Shay. I think she seems like a, a sweet, down-to-earth person. And I like Ksenia Solo. 
So I'm happy. Okay. Good to know. But there was so much like smooching and stuff in this episode. That was also something that really stood out to me. There was, yeah. Was when it came to, when it's come to Kasima, there's been not as much smooching and stuff. Yeah, not not as much as especially Sarah, let's say. Yes. But there was but yeah. a, there was a lot of like sexy half naked slash just general smooching going on in this episode. Pretty much. And yeah, this is this is the note I have here is from what we've seen, their relationship seems to revolve around sexy things and Shay being a good listener. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I which is another thing I appreciate about Shay is her being a good listener. Me too. And and that she like paused the the kissing to ask if she wanted to talk about it. It's like that's nice of you, Shay. It was very <laughs> nice. I like Shay. <laughs> yeah. We also got a mention of Kasima coughing. So while obviously Kasima has not told Shay about her respiratory illness, Shay has taken notes of the coughing. Yes. Do you think that Kasima will tell Shay about her respiratory illness? I don't know. I guess it depends on how far their relationship goes. Exactly. Like, I can't... It's one of those things, I can see it going either way. Because since Shay is seemingly a, a very good listener, <laughs> willing to listen to all these things, it seems like it's a distinct possibility that Kasima will tell her. But I could also see that maybe she wouldn't want to, you know what I mean? Because that's something heavy to lay on somebody you just started dating. Because, I mean, it, I suppose she could just start out with, well, I have a chronic respiratory illness. But then if their relationship progresses and she has to reveal, by the way, it's potentially life-threatening, that would be awkward because she wasn't more forthright in the beginning. But if she's more for forthright up front, that's also kind of awkward to lay that something right. that heavy on somebody that you just started dating. And she was so hesitant to tell her sisters, too. Right. So, yeah, I'm not sure what Kasima's going to do. Right. Because that's the other thing. We saw in the breakup scene in episode one, we do see that moment between Kasima and Delphine where Delphine starts to like check her temperature and Kasima pushes her hand away and says, don't mother me. So I could see right. where Kasima would enjoy being in a relationship where the person didn't know she was sick and didn't treat her as such, even if it was well-intentioned. Like, obviously, Delphine is well-intentioned. Right. But I could see where that would get annoying after a time. Yep. Well, and that's the thing, too. They haven't really touched on it a whole lot, or at least not not overtly so. But, I mean, the last we see of Kasima in season two, she had that sort of seeming near-death experience. So she's made, like, a huge comeback from that. But, I don't know, to the extent that it feels like maybe some people in in the show and in the audience are maybe forgetting that that was a thing that happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, it was bad. It was yeah. really, really bad before. And so, you know, and it it was recent is also, I guess, what I'm trying to get at. Right. In terms of the show. It's a big sort of, uh, you know, life upheaval kind of thing, I would think. We also got some comments about Shay from Tom, who said, Still don't trust Shay. There is a another faction of the military that was working on the caster victims. It was mentioned that the doctor in the camp took the initial DNA readings from the hair samples, but follow-ups were done elsewhere. The person taking pictures worked for Delphine, but that doesn't mean Shay isn't involved with the military to use Kasima and find out what she knows. Dropping Sarah's name was a start. No mention has been made before of Kasima talking in her sleep. 
And similarly, uh, Jacqueline said that she thinks that Shay is a plant so that Delphine can keep an eye on Cosima. I would think that would be awkward, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I see no reason not to trust Shay at this point. But that can always change quickly. <laughs> exactly. That is my stance as well. Like, I don't think there's any particular indication that she's anything other than who she's presented herself as. But yeah, you never know. But speaking of Delphine, we had the return of Delphine. A very different Delphine. A, I think, probably shadier than ever Delphine. I, I guess so, because my dad saw her and he's like, I knew she was a villain or something like that. Or back to being a villain or I forget exactly what he said, but he found her villainous this episode as she was like sipping her her alcoholic beverage and looking at the surveillance photos and video. You mean as Delphine was being <laughs> a James Bond villain? <laughs> See, and to me, when I watched that scene, I was more thinking that in that scene, Delphine is basically being all the Kofine shippers out there who are so upset that Shay and Kasiba are together. That is probably true, yes. <laughs> Knocking back alcohol and looking at the photos and with a, ugh, this is terrible look on her face. With great regret. Yes, with, yes, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> J'ai fait une erreur énorme. <laughs> I have no idea if that's the translation or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it was kind of satisfying in a way to see her present Scott and Kasima with some very important data that they overlooked. Yes, I kind of loved it. She sort of like metaphorically knocked their heads together. <laughs> Yes, yes, she like, totally like did. Three Stooges, what, what, uh, Three Stooges style. Yes, she totally did. That's a that's a great point. <laughs> it's like you dummies. Doctor Nealon's not an idiot. Why? Why did? Why would you run your your tests through Dyad of all places? <laughs> Delphine's like, is nobody paying attention but me? <laughs> it took me a minute to remember where they got the brain from because I was just fresh from seeing Paul next to Parsons' body. And for mm. a moment, I thought, did Paul send them Parsons' brain? But then I remembered that they took Seth's brain from when he was dead in the bathtub at Felix's loft. <sighs> so many caster boys. Yeah. but that was And brains. That was an important thing for Delphine to point out. So thank you, Delphine. That was helpful. But but my partner did comment as we were watching, say, say, I don't like the new Delphine. And she is. She's she's much frostier and harder around the edges. And we're back to not really knowing how to feel about her like we were in season one. She's a little terrifying now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I was actually, again, my dad making the comment about finding her villainous now i'm just kind of like i don't think that's fair because the things we've seen her do i mean obviously she's sort of had to step into the rachel role but like we saw her save them from helsinki at the beginning of the season so i really don't think it's fair to assume that she's evil now darker yes evil i don't think so yeah but she's definitely not the puppy from season two she was very, very soft and lovable and squishy in season two, and she is not that person in this season. And that's okay. You know, people need to evolve and change given circumstances, but it, it still is, as somebody who loves Delphine, it's it's tough to watch her be so frosty 
toward people she was once more friendly toward. But we do terrible things for the people we love. So is this Delphine doing terrible things for someone she loves? I think so. I suspect so also. But why the photo- the photographing and the spying of Kasima and Shay? That's super shady, Delphine. It is. I. The only thing that I can think of is that maybe it's sort of the current version of the monitoring. Since, as far as we know, Kasima never got a replacement monitor. Since apparently Delphine can't really be her monitor now because she's too high up, right? I guess? Uh, I assume. Or or maybe this is Delphine delegating the the monitoring. I mean, I don't know. But is Kasima supposed to be monitored? I mean, Allison doesn't seem to have a new monitor. But Allison also doesn't have access to Dyad. True. So yeah, I mean, I really don't know what what's going on exactly. But the spying makes me uncomfortable. If if Delphine's going to try to get back together with Kasima at some point, which I I very much think she is, if if Kasima ever found out about that, that's going to be something that'll be difficult to explain away. I think. Or is it? I mean, there were pictures of just Shay. So then there are questions like, well, is she looking into Shay? If that is what's going on, why? Fair. I mean, I don't know. Fair. So maybe if Shay turns out to be the the spy or plant or shady person that some viewers think she is, perhaps that could justify that spying and, and lead to Kasima forgiving the intrusion on her privacy. Here's another question, which I don't know that this really has any, any basis, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. We know the caster clones are contagious. Do we think the Lita clones are contagious? Hmm. That's a good question. This is something I'm worried about now. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's been no indication so far, but I'd say the door is open if they want to go through it, you know? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. They could go that route if they chose to. We also got an email from Erin saying, I'm surprised Scott had the book at Dyad as well. I can understand after the break-in with Rudy that they would want to up security on it, but I figure they'd want to still keep it a secret as well, and anyone could look through it at Dyad. That's a good point. I don't know where Scott had it, though. It's like, maybe Scott had it on his person at all times, in which case it would be relatively safe. I don't know. Yeah, and maybe it's not that they keep it at Dyad, but he brought it in to work with, and then he's going to take it home with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they put it, I don't know, in a safe or something. Who knows? But it does seem like they might be asking for something bad to happen by taking the book to Dyad. Mm-hmm. Also, I would just like to say Annette agreed with me that there was sort of too much buildup for this episode. In regards to promotional material? Yes. Okay. I was complaining about it in in the short episode. (laughs) Like a little bit, just because you know how it is where sometimes they'll hype something up so much and then it happens and you're like so nervous (laughs) all week. And then it's just, I don't know. It it somehow feels less impactful. Were they teasing the whole someone's going to die in this episode? Not explicitly. Okay. But there was, like, a lot of, you know, everybody watch this episode live. You're not going to want to have to wait, you know, don't don't watch it later, watch it live. And there was 
the the poster for the episode. You know, they've got the graphic posters. Uh-huh. The one for this episode, which they released about midweek, showed a, a grenade with blood on it. Ah. So I'm like, eh, somebody's going to die and it's probably going to be Paul. <laughs> that was actually my thought. It was like, it's either going to be Paul or it's going to be one of the caster clones. So, In which case, who cares? I'm kidding. <laughs> Ouch, Stephanie. I'm kidding. She's not. <laughs> See, I actually worried in this episode that Sarah might die because I was worried about that midweek too because there were apparently there were like rumors circulating and I thought they'd set it up well enough that like if they were going to do it this was the time they were going to do it. Exactly. I I didn't really consider it to be a possibility until I was watching the episode and she was so sick and feverish and I was like, "Oh, no." If they were going to kill her, this actually wouldn't be a bad episode to do it in. And then she got better, but then Rudy came into the compound. I was like, oh no, this would just be like them. To have like us be worried when she's sick back there, have her get better, and then have her like be have her throat slit or something like that, because we thought she was in the clear now. But that didn't happen, thank you. They're not Joss Whedon, Stephanie. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like they are. I know. I know. <laughs> so cruel. Well, because there was that article going around about how they should kill Sarah. And I know, that's it's in my head, too. Yeah. And Damn I, them. I don't think that they would do that just because somebody wrote an essay, but at the same time, I'm like, maybe they read it and thought that sounded like a good idea? <laughs> I hope not. Me too. It sounds like the dumbest idea to me, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell I'm bitter about that article still? I, a little. A little. <laughs> But we also got, yay, we got a voicemail from our friend Sally. Hey, Chris and Stephanie. Welcome back, Stephanie. Um, Kevin, did you proud in your absence? I hope you had a nice trip. So what an episode, eh? Where to start? I think I have four things I want to say, but I'm going to try and be brief. We'll see. Welcome back, Delphine. And I knew it was under Delphine's orders. I just knew it that somebody... I guess from Dyad, was taking pictures of Cosima and Shay. I don't know why. It seems a little extreme for Cosima. I mean, sorry, for Delphine to be, you know, just a jealous ex-girlfriend. So maybe there's some reason. I'm still not sure if I trust Shay. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. R.I.P. Paul. And R.I.P. means redeemed in part. Well, just kidding. I think he's redeemed in full. But... You know, on the one hand, it's sad, but honest, I guess, that he never loved Beth. Surprising, but not too surprising, that he loved Sarah. And, you know, I was just getting to like the guy again. And now he's gone, and I don't know what else to say about that, except uh, I'm glad he redeemed himself. And, you know, in a similar vein... Hooray for Helena throwing off the terrible influence of Pupak and coming back for Sarah. That was heartwarming. I'm glad their estrangement didn't last too long. The last big thing that I wanted to say was that such an interesting statement, you know, stop asking why and start asking who. Who would have gone to all the trouble to clone, you know, Sarah and Mark or, you know, whoever the originals or the templates were. I think that 
you know, perhaps if we know who, then we'll be able to know the why. Was it the Duncans? Did they have children who they lost or who died of some kind of disease that they were trying to replace? Was it, you know, an institution like the military that was trying to develop a perfect weapon? That seems to be what Dr. Cody was trying to do, but that may have just been, she might have just been being opportunistic. Was it Marion Bowles? We've seen her once. Delphine mentioned topside again. So maybe we'll be seeing Marion Bowles again, and she's got some reason. In fact, you know, she's raising Charlotte, the Lita clone, who they hadn't perfected the technique. But, you know, the wild card in all this might be Mrs. S. We've already seen that she knows more than she said she did. She wasn't just sort of an anarchist, punk rock, socialist person. She did have knowledge about Lita, um, if not Castor as well. So did Mrs. S and her birdwatcher friends have some agenda? I don't know that we have enough information to make an informed guess right now. Well, the last thing is a small thing. But I think it's, you know, Scott kept trying to call Cosima to warn her, I guess, that Delphine was back or tell her to come into the lab. Why didn't he just text her and say, red alert, Delphine's here? You know, he wasn't able to give her the heads up. The only thing that I can think of is maybe there's a prohibition at Dyad against using text messages for information. Because, hey, if you lose your phone and you don't have your texts encrypted, any spy for the Prolethians or somebody else could pick it up and read a text that says, you know, anything at all, especially if it's about confidential stuff. So maybe that's the reason, but that did strike me as weird. He could have even just sent a text message that said, you know, heads up, the Eagle has returned. But, you know, this show's pretty good with things like that. So maybe there'll be a reason that they disclose to us, but if not, then I think it was Stephanie who introduced me to the term fan wank. So I guess that's what that was. Anyway, that's all. I can't wait for next week. Bye. And thank you, Sally, for sending that voicemail in. Uh, I will say, because Sally actually messaged me earlier about the the text message from Scott. Mm -hmm. And like, why didn't he send one? And I said, that's a really good point. Because, you know, Scott is awkward. and also being of the awkward tribe myself the thing is like if we can communicate via text or or you know written word rather than calling we will totally do that <laughs> yes i also agree not to speak for all awkward people but uh, it is generally easier i think i think i'm not quite as awkward as you are but i am an introvert <laughs> and so therefore if i can communicate via text message i would much rather do do that than calling I strongly dislike phone calling. I do, too. Thank you. Thank you for never calling me, Chris. I appreciate that. <laughs> and the same to you. <laughs> but yeah, as as for the who and the why, and is it Cody or the Duncans or Marion Bowles or Mrs. S, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that, There are too many possibilities. That comment from Beth was very cryptic. But at least it gives Sarah something new to go on because she had her directive in, about Helena and now they're reunited. So now this will lead them perhaps in a new direction in, in regards to their research about the, the cloning projects. 
And jumping back to last week's episode, we got an email in response from Julia. It's less of an email, more of a rant, which we enjoy. <laughs> and Julia says, I have some shit to say about everyone collectively. I'm I'm putting that emphasis there. Maybe she would. Emphasis is, is your own. <laughs> emphasis is my own. <laughs> I have some shit to say about everyone collectively freaking out about Kasima moving on, in quotations. I know everyone's like, she kissed another woman. She slept with Shay. How could she? I know from my own experience, when you get your heart broken, you will do just about anything to make that pain go away. This includes making out with and or sleeping with people you may be kind of like or people you have never met before. I feel like this is a pretty acceptable thing to do. Yes, it's Delphine, and she is amazing and wonderful and complicated and dedicated, and the hair is definitely a factor, but Kasima got broken up with, given very little info about why she was being broken up with, and is now trying to get over it. I loved the part where Shay asked if she could go, and Kasima said no, and then she asked if she could could stay, and Kasima said, I don't know. I think it's so great. It totally encapsulates what it is to start moving on. I don't know. I love Kofine, but I really don't have a problem with any of the way they've portrayed what is happening between them right now. Except maybe I wish we had more Delphine, but that's scheduling. As the internet says, cosine. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) C-O-S-I-G-N. You cosine her rant. I got it. Yes. (laughs) It took me a second, but I got it. Okay. I I will also cosine her rant. I I don't have a problem with the Kasima Shea stuff either. And I also really enjoyed that exchange where Shay asks if Kasima wants her to go or to stay. I thought that was well-written and well-acted. Yes. And again, I think it's part of the reason we like Shay, right? Because, you know, she she seems very, I don't know, I guess, respectful of, of Kasima and boundaries and wanting to be helpful, I guess, right? Yeah. She seems nice, is what I'm saying. She does seem nice. She does seem nice. And jumping, I guess, back to this episode I was going to mention earlier, I thought it was interesting that we see Delphine say to Kasima, I miss you. Mm-hmm. I had complicated feelings about that moment because I, I, do, too. I do think Delphine was being genuine, but it does come across as a bit manipulative since she was the exactly. one who broke up with her. And yes. given the fact that she knows she's seeing somebody else, most likely. Right. I concur. I concur completely. I had a discussion with somebody about that earlier this week. I think it was Rebecca. And that was basically what I told Rebecca. <laughs> it's like, I I feel conflicted about Delphine saying that. Yeah. I don't doubt it's true. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it seems kind of selfish to me that she said that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you miss her, why did you break up with her? It's like, you don't get to do that. (laughs) Pretty much. And I thought that led to the I miss you was what led to Kasima. The I miss you plus just seeing Delphine again was what led to Kasima going to Shay's apartment with the intention of saying, I think we should slow down. Right. Yes. I think that was part of my my conversation with Rebecca too. Is like you know because it worked. Yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever it was, Delphine thought she was doing. It seemed to work. Yeah. For a minute. <laughs> but then Shay being all foxy, I guess you know. I like that you're calling Shay foxy. I think we need to use that word more. <laughs> really, it started off. I was just quoting you know Hendrix song titles. So. <laughs> foxy lady. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But I do also, I do just kind of like the word foxy. It's a great word. 
It's a great word. And I think kind of gender neutral. I think men and women can be foxy. Yes. Yeah. Let's totally make that our new thing. (laughs) Done. Done and done. (laughs) So you think Paul is foxy then? He's foxier this season, but still not as foxy as Paul to me. Or excuse me, still not as foxy (laughs) as Cal to me. Their names are too similar. Why does she have to date date men whose names rhyme? Kind of. (laughs) Colin (laughs) Pal? Okay, fine. They don't rhyme at all. (laughs) But they're similar. They're like, very similar. No, I I get you. They share more than like half the letters. (laughs) There's an L at the end and and one or more vowels in the middle. (laughs) There's just so many names on this show, Chris. (laughs) Oh, I also like that somebody pointed out, I don't remember who, but somebody wrote in and pointed out the fact that Tatiana played seven characters in this episode. Yeah, something like that. She played Sarah, Beth, Helena, Allison, Kasima, Rachel, Pupak. Yep. I think that might be a record. I'd have to check to be sure, but it seems like it would be, yeah. Hashtag give Maslani an Emmy. Yeah. And they've gotten so good at putting together the, the doubled clone scenes that it's so easy to just experience the scenes. Yeah. To experience the scenes. And, I, and less and less do I sit there wondering, how did they do that? It's only on rewatch where I really go back and think, hmm, I wonder how they set up those shots. But they've just become mm-hmm. so seamless. You just You just watch and you don't even think about it. Yep. It's just part of the show. So big props to Tatiana Maslany, as usual. Big props to Jordan Guevaras. I thought he was fantastic in this episode. Big props to to Dylan Bruce. I thought this was also a really good episode for him. I think it is his best episode of the series. Yeah, I agree. And I think largely due to the fact that they finally gave him clear motive. (laughs) Yeah. Because poor Dylan Bruce has had to play it neutral for a really long time. Yeah. But I think that is part of why we've liked Paul the most this season is, you know, there's there's clear purpose in there. So, But yeah, really strong episode. I really enjoyed it. Me too. We'd still love to hear your thoughts about this episode. You can go and leave a comment on our show notes over at TatianaIsEveryone.com slash 74. You can also send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com or you can send us a voice message by calling 972-514-7223. We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And in this episode, Foxiness was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. 